Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver world-class customer service, a better buying experience, and how you can create a new stream of revenue for you and your organization, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. Are you going to be at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney, Australia on the 14th and 15th of November? Why not? I'm going to be there with Booking Protect CEO Simon Mapp. Simon's going to be talking about customer service, and I will be delivering the opening keynote address about change. To get your tickets to the to Ticketing Professionals Conference Australia, visit them at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Once again, it's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. As an added bonus, if you buy your tickets today, I'm dropping this podcast on September 3rd, 2019. If you get your tickets before the 10th of September, send me an email at my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com, and I will give you some special offer. I don't know. It could be a coaching call. It could be a document review. It could be a review of your marketing plan. It could be a coaching session. I don't know what it'll be, but as an extra benefit, an added inducement to get your tickets to the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Australia, send me an email with your receipt, and I will hook you and your team up. The more people that are in your team going to the conference, the better. So get your tickets today at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. My guest today is Simon. Simon Mab, CEO of Booking Protect. I have been plugging this podcast for weeks because Simon and I are going to Sydney, Australia uh, to help kick off the first Ticketing Professionals Australia conference hosted by Joe Michelle and Angela Higgins. And so we wanted to collect some of your questions and answer them in an AMA-type format. So Simon and I got about a dozen questions, and we covered a lot of ground. We talked about, um, obviously, tickets. We talked about experience. We talked about customer service. We talked about the power of anticipation. We talked about some of the really unique experiences all over the world. We talked about pricing. We talked about um, the way you make people feel. We talked about uh, some really great examples of empathy and we talked about Herod's. We talked about uh, chef's tables. We talked about just a whole lot of stuff. Um, I think it's a really great way for you to learn about me and Simon if you've never heard of us before. If you're coming to the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney, Australia, which I hope you will, it's a great way to learn what you'll, you know, hear some stuff from me and Simon that you'll be able to hear and learn more about when you're at the conference. It's a... Um, a lot of fun just because I love Simon. And we talk about, I should not fail to mention Tottenham Hotspur. The match ended 2-2, not the greatest. But without any more from me, here's my conversation with Simon Mab on the Business of Fun podcast. I want to welcome my good friend Simon Mab from Booking Protect to the Business of Fun podcast. Simon, what's happening? Hi, Dave. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm great. I'll be even better if on Sunday the Spurs win the Derby. I will be much, much yeah, better. Well, likewise, likewise. I've just been having a, a small bet with someone in the office who's an Arsenal fan, so uh, fingers crossed we do it. You you let the Arsenal fans keep their jobs, is what you said. <laughs> I knew you were a nice, nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, don't you? You have to. Yeah, I guess he couldn't like cut them all out, right? I mean, they do have some useful skills. They are, um, you know... I guess used to like laboring under adverse conditions. I mean, they are Arsenal fans after all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. It's good to be a Spurs fan at the moment. Yes, very good. Very. I mean, it's it's an awesome time to be a Spurs fan. I, I I'm a I'm a huge fan, and it's all because of you, you and David Lyman. I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> now, this the the podcast today is a little different, right? Because as I'm sure that anybody has listened to this thing knows, uh, you and I are going to Australia in a couple weeks now. Not very long at all now, uh, and I have been soliciting questions from people uh, about. You know, that they wanted us to, you know, either from Australia or around the world about things they would like to learn more about or um, 
find out about or interested in hearing from us about. Um, so I have, a, it looks like about 12, uh, a dozen of them that we work through. They come from all over the world, which is really, really fun. And um, hopefully it'll give us a chance to like plug what we're going to do in Australia, which um, if you want to connect with us, make sure you send us emails um, because I think we're going to do some sort of get together on Wednesday before the 13th of November before the conference on the 14th and 15th. And um, both Simon and I are speaking at the conference. So it's going to be like a lot of fun. It's going to be great. We hope that uh, this podcast is a nice introduction to people. Uh, Simon, do you have anything to add to that or did I like plug us both pretty well? No, I think that's a good, uh, good plug. Dave, no, it's certainly be interested in seeing some people uh, when we're over in Australia. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll plug away. We got plenty of time to plug here. So the first question, though, comes to uh, comes to us from the USA. A guy called Tim has sent me an email, and he asked the question: um, How can organizations sell more when people are already on site and upsell during the sales process? I know I'm going to turn over the upselling part during the sales process to you because I know you have some strong uh, opinions on that. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, I think upselling is all about offering your customer value, uh, not just to trying to appear to sell them something else on the site, so making it very relevant. Um, I suppose uh, an example of this is the way that we would sell our uh, refund protection product to to uh, to ticket buyers. Obviously, if the customer is buying a product or a ticket many months out, it's going to be far more relevant to them than someone who's buying a ticket literally for tonight or or uh, the day before. As customers are looking, you know, for experiences to be enhanced, I think, you know, customers are now buying things a lot further out and obviously things happen uh, in between. You know, people get ill, um, you know, things happen with, with jobs, um, you know, things come up that means they can't attend that event. So, you know, those sort of things are, are relevant. But obviously, if you're just going to buy a ticket for tonight, it's probably uh, the chance of you not being able to attend are probably very, very slim. So showing that offer at that point probably is not going to be uh, so relevant to that customer. Yeah, it's it's interesting you brought up the, the idea that on-sale dates are coming up earlier and earlier in the process. And that you know that's something I highlight kind of constantly, right? But the bigger point is like, because the on-sale dates have gone on are happening earlier and earlier, people are planning the holistic experience like you talk, like you like you mentioned. And I think that maybe a really great opportunity that people can take advantage of is thinking through how you can make an event that somebody is going to um, attend in six, eight, twelve months time, and even add to it. Um, I, th- I think we we bounced that back and forth. Uh, like something like VIP access, right? Or you even um, yeah. brought up some, some some examples from like your trip to see the Spurs in the Champions League last year. Yeah, I think yeah, I think the first priority that you have when you're buying your ticket is, is you just want your ticket and you want to secure your place to that to that event. And then I think probably near as as the time builds, you then decide, you know, on on different things to add to that experience. Um, almost like it's potentially almost like a second buying opportunity. So, uh, you know, offering people, you know, additional upgrades sort of further down the line once they've got their ticket, um, I think, you know, a real opportunity, um, you know, to maximize the, 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 you know, the pound or the dollar or the, the cents, whatever you're trying to uh, get out of these people. They're more likely to probably repurchase an upgrade if something, if they're offered it slightly further down the line than they are maybe to put it on the initial cost at the beginning. Right. That, and that's a good point because that's like a uh, consumer psychology point, which is that once you've mm-hmm. spent the money, you, it's over, right? The, so the new, the next purchase that you'd make, like, so let's say if we waited six weeks and then I said, oh yeah, you know, like your events in six months time. Um, but we want to, you know, just engage you and offer you an upgrade. Right? You're likely more likely than, you would be to say no to consider it because you've already spent the $50 or 50 pounds on the ticket. So another 10 pounds, it seems like a separate transaction and you go, eh, you know, like what's 10 pounds. It's no big deal. It's great. Exactly. It's, it's exactly what the airlines do. Um, particularly in Europe, you know, selling you upgraded seats or more leg room or meals, luggage, etc. often isn't, isn't necessarily sold at the beginning. Uh, it's often sold when you go to check in or all those sorts of things, or they give you other options, uh, maybe travel insurance, car hire, etc. Yeah, and I think it, that those examples are great because the thing is, is like it also allows you to build anticipation. 
and grow the relationship you have with the customer, which is you can do to also sell more when they get on site, right? Because maybe you offer the day before uh, an opportunity to purchase your first drink if you're going to a game or a show, right? And then so all of a sudden now you had one drink, you're like, well, I might as well have another one because I was only planning on having one. But since I could just give my ticket or like scan my thing and the, and the, the drink came right to me, I may as well have another one. To me, all of these are just opportunities to grow and upsell during the sales process. And I find that the sales process never really ends. No, I'd agree. I'd agree. And then you've probably got a second or a third bite of the cherry when uh, when they turn up at the venue. Yeah. you. Can, I, I think that if you do it well, it's the sales process looks like a wave. And it goes up, it crests, it goes down, then it comes back up. And it's just like a rolling you know, wave, like, you know, whatever those like cartoons you'd see of waves. That's to me what the sales process looks like. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. So this kind of, all of this conversation we've had leads to the second question I have, which comes from uh, Francis in Australia. And it's an interesting one because we kind of have touched on it. And I I know we've probably talked about it a lot before we even got on the podcast. So hopefully Um, We didn't leave the good stuff on the cutting room floor, but it says, what can promoters do to increase the value of the live event? And I, I, for me, this is, this touch, this reaches home because I spend a lot of time and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put myself on the spot and say it's ranting about the fact that like these live events are unique. They're one of a kind. It doesn't matter if you're going to see who's the, who would be the worst premier league team this year so far. Um, You probably say maybe, I don't want to say Newcastle because that would hurt too much. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> maybe Aston Villa, right? And you see Aston Villa versus Spurs, but it would be the only yeah. time that was going to happen. Any, you know, ever with those group of people, players on the feet pitch, those group of people in the stands, you'd never know exactly what's going to happen. And that has to be highlighted, right? It's uh, in the States. We're especially bad about saying like the, in the middle of the baseball season, it's the dog days of summer. And, um, you know, undercutting the value of a regular season baseball game. So I think mm-hmm. to me, the first thing is, is you got to stop undercutting the value of the live experience by saying, oh, it's just the dog days of summer. Oh, it's a grind. It's whatever. No, it's a unique experience. It's the only time you're ever going to have to enjoy this, right? And you, you have to sell that because that, that I, there, there can't be a much truer statement than every time you go to a game, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't. You could see something that's entirely different that may never happen again, and that's what you're buying into. But you know, I'm you're curious fine. to hear what you said. What happened? You're finding into the experience, aren't you? The 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 sort of result with secondary in there. It should be. I at least I think right. I mean, sure. There's like tons of awful teams, right? Um, and you know that the result, the, the product on the field is not going to be the greatest and that the result might not go your way. But even then, they, they do have redeeming qualities. Mm. I mean, definitely, definitely. Yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know for sure why that is such a hard thing for people to understand. Um, but, you know, you brought up an example when we were talking back and forth about um, you use Disney. And I, I think... Um, our, you know, our friend Kat, she talked about going to Disney uh, recently with her, with her son and her, and her husband and how like exciting it was for him to have the opportunity to see Captain America because he really loves Captain yep. America. And I think th- those things are all, um, you know, those are really relevant things. Or And you, you've talked to me now at least two times about getting a beer at Spurs Stadium, which if people haven't understand, uh, haven't had a chance to see it, uh, tell them, you know, could you tell, share share your beer buying experience with everybody? Yeah, yeah. I think it's the, uh, I think it's the fastest flowing beer um, anywhere in the world and it flows from the bottom. So there's a hole in the bottom of the, of the glass and the uh, glass uh, is filled from the bottom upwards so that you don't have the gas and the, the, uh, the sort of white head on the beer but to see it in action and it's worth uh, anyone out there just googling um, you know Spurs football club beers um, pouring uh, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of videos on YouTube etc which will show this but it was it's just amazing to watch that um, you know and and see you know how, how that works and you know again that's all part of the experience um, I was, I've been lucky enough to go to um, go to the Spurs, the new stadium, once already, and you know 
I think that's probably you know one of the best experiences I've had, and it was an awful football game, but I don't really <laughs> remember the football game. I remember the crowd was amazing. The club had put flags out for everybody to wave. Um, there was uh, stuff on before the game. Uh, the half time was was fantastic. Um, you know, the, the whole experience was was just amazing. From literally entering the event to uh, to leaving at the end, uh, it was a it was a pleasure. And and I say the result was pretty much, you know, disappointing but secondary. Yeah, I I would agree. the uh, The return leg was much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sadly, I didn't have a ticket for that. <laughs> but it brings up something, too, because you talked about pricing. And the third question we had, it comes from Australia, and it's an anonymous question, so I can't um, offer up who, who sent it because I don't know. Um, but what what's your take on pricing, and how does it impact lifetime customer value? And I know this is something we talk about uh, all pretty regularly. Yeah, I, I think clearly there's a balance between, you know, pricing something so that, you get enough people through the door um, and actually opening that up to, you know, a wide audience. So obviously you need to fill your bums on seats. And I think that's probably, when we go back to the first question, that, that sales wave that you talk, talked about, Dave, um, I think probably an absolute classic in, in this thing is you want people to be there and then you want the ability to upsell them other stuff right. um, along the way. And, you know, we mentioned Disney Again, that's a that's a classic example of that. You buy, you know, your entry, and then you've got fast passes you can buy, or you can buy photo packages to capture the whole moment. Well, if you if you're going to go all that way and spend all that money um, with your child or children, you're going to want to photograph it and remember all those memories. You want know, to have all that stuff built into an app and be able to see live photos that are being taken on the day and get those downloaded and into a special pack and a memory maker, I think they call it, you know, is, is an opportunity to enhance that value and, and, and get some more, um, you know, money out and, and, and increase your overall take per head. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I think anybody who's listening to the podcast or seen me speak or read my blog or read any of the articles I've written, probably know what my philosophy on pricing is, which is that, I want to encourage people to get into my building any way I can because I know that if I get people inside the door that I can create experiences like you're talking about with the memory maker uh, that people will happily pay for. They will thank me for giving them to them and I will make more money. And that seems mm-hmm. sometimes to be lost on people, right? It's like there's you might get a couple people to buy in at an, a at the maximum price point you can get for a ticket, right? In this case, but what, how much are you detracting from the experience if a stadium or an arena or a building is only two thirds full or a half full? Um, you know, you're, you're missing a lot. And I know the conversation a lot of times is like, they want to maximize the revenue from the ticket. Sure. But the lifetime customer value or life of the, like the customer cap per event Take it all into consideration because maybe you can get 20 pounds more for a ticket, but how much better and how much, number one, how much better would the experience be for the customer and how much more money would you make if instead you, you left $20 on the table for the ticket, but then you had a reason, you know, a couple of really cool merchandise items that people wanted that were, uh, you know, not like a 40 pound t-shirt or a, you know, $35 t-shirt in the States or a $17 beer. Um, and you got, you know, somebody was able to spend another 50 bucks or 50 pounds, whatever, wherever you're at, get a T-shirt, maybe get a poster, get a, something to eat and a drink. How much better? And the, and the place the building was full. How much better would that be for everybody? I think it would be a lot better. And that was sort of like I learned that from starting out in nightclubs. Yeah, I think it's about I think customers want want to feel no one likes to feel they've been ripped off. Right. People like to feel like they've had value and people uh, will spend more money uh, on something if they, if they perceive there's some value in that. Um, I was talking to some of my guys uh, the other day and we were talking about buying um, fuel, petrol, um, gasoline, 
whatever, and saying that's just you know we would drive along and we'd say we know that that garage has the cheapest price, so we'll go to that garage because we're not bothered about it's just gasoline, it's just fuel, it's just going in the car. We're not really bothered about it. So that's just a transactional sell. Whoever's the cheapest will go and will go and buy that. Where if you're providing a customer service, uh, something, whether it be a restaurant, whether it be a venue, an event, or whatever, you're thinking differently because you're, you're not looking for the cheapest. You're looking for good value um, for your hard-earned money right. at the end of the day. Yeah, you, you uh, want so it's a different type of sale. Yeah, you want something that you want to feel special, right? I mean, because, it, the, you know, some work can be hard. Life can be hard. Uh, you can yep. be going through troubles or whatever. So when you go out to something like an event or a, a, a concert, a, a game, dinner, whatever it is, you want to feel a little bit special. You want to feel, you know, taken care of, I think is what is, is the term I would want to use. Yeah. And, and people think will that pay really, for that. <laughs> yeah, they will. They will. And But um, I think we'll probably talk about this later on. It, it's very much down to your people in the venue um, to make a real difference. So, you know, if you turn up at a venue and it's the best venue in the world and, and it looks like an amazing place and whatever, but all the staff are miserable and no one will help you or no one cares or they just don't, you know, they spill beer all over you and don't say sorry. And, you know, it's just, everything's too much trouble that completely destroys that experience. And, you know, you, then you feel like you, you know, you've had a bad, you've had a bad experience and, and you probably feel like you've been ripped off. Yeah. And if you have one experience like that, um, that can ruin everything that you might yeah. never get that set. You might never get a second chance to fix that. And, or you may never be able to fix it. Even if you do get a second chance, because mm-hmm. that, that first experience is always going to flavor people's opinion of you. It, it just, of that's, it will. that's how it works. Um, yep. yeah, but I mean, we can go on about this customer service stuff uh, and how valuable it is all day long. And like you said, I think there's a couple more questions about that. Um, but I got the next question from two people, uh, one from Ian in the UK. And then the other and it, the second time it came through was from a guy called Chris in the US. And it says, what are our top tips for maintaining customer relationships, especially um, in the case of single ticket buyers? Uh, you know, and then they go on to say what, where, when, or what, where, why, and when. Um, and, you know, I'll start by saying, you know, top tips for maintaining customer relationships. The most simple thing is to have at least in the most rough way possible, a customer journey mapped out for, for the people, right? How do you want the experience of them to happen before they buy a ticket? What do you want that to look like? What do you want the experience to look like when they're at your, your event, your concert, your game, and then, you know, think out the steps you're going to take afterwards to like thank them for coming, check on, see how their experience was, um, you know, and offer them something valuable to do again. Right. Or, and you know, that like is like the ba- most basic starting point is just to think through the journey. Um, but I'm curious what you have to say on the subject. Yeah, I think, I think very much from the, from that very beginning, that, you know, making it as easy as possible is probably, you know, where my where my head's at. Um, you know, I see a classic example of that, and it's not in the entertainment space, but it's in um, sort of consumer area. Is is Amazon? You know, there'd be a classic example of a really really easy uh, process. So Amazon are probably not the cheapest for everything. But no matter what you want, pretty much, you can get it delivered the following day. And the buying process is so, so simple. I use the app um, and probably within two or three clicks on my phone, you know, all my bank information's in there. um, Everything's there. And I literally just click the button and it it turns up when they say it will turn up. Um, Very, very simple process. Um, and very, very easy to use. Another example of that would be, um, you know, when I'm buying something, how we, how we then deal with the payment element of it. And I think 
you know, nowadays uh, using things like Apple Pay and PayPal um, are absolutely brilliant because I get really frustrated now if I'm buying something. I'm often buying it on my phone, my smartphone, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting in my details. And then I get to that point and I probably, you know, maybe have my wallet with me or maybe I'm sat on the, the sofa at home watching the telly and the wallets, you know, somewhere else. And, uh, and then you have to suddenly think, oh, I need to get up and get my credit card out so I can put it on the thing. Whereas it's just got PayPal or Apple Pay, all my card information's there, two or three clicks, and, and it's paid for, done. I can continue whatever I'm doing, watching the TV or, or doing something totally different without even having to get my wallet out, get my credit cards out, try and read the card number, get the security numbers, etc. So I think that maintaining a really, really simple sales process um, from the point of view of purchasing, making it click, 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 all the way through, um, very, very simple, without the individual having to um, break off to do something else, i.e. go to their wallet, etc. Um, it would be absolutely clear. And then obviously all the other steps you mentioned then about the you know, experience at the venue and, and the follow-up experience, I think are absolutely critical. Yeah, no, the, I mean, the, the way you explain it about making sure that the buyer, the buying experience is simple is probably like a really key point because I think that what happens a lot of times is that we get in such a rush to capture all of this data from people is that we forget that the most important thing we can do is make sure that the person buys from us to start with. Yeah. Because if they buy, then if we're doing a, a good job of being um, strategists and marketers, we can create all these different touch points throughout the course of the relationship that they'll tell us exactly who they are. They'll tell us what they're interested in. They'll tell us their likes and their desires. They'll, um, you know, they'll, they'll develop a history with our business that we can use to create better experiences for the people, to offer them a better value, to make the experience better for them. But it all begins with like, get out of the way and let people buy. <laughs> I think that's like the, 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 the big key is get out of the way and let somebody buy and then go from there. People people like simplicity and, you know, the more complicated something is, the, the less likely someone's going to get to the end of the process. You know, whether that's, you know, another a classic example of that would be customer reviews. You know, um, within our business, we, uh, we ask our customers to leave customer reviews. When we initially started, they had to, the customer had to log on, set an account up with the review company, and then leave the review, etc. And a lot of people would just abandon that. You know, they're, they're happy to leave your review, but if it's too difficult, you know, they've got lives to be getting on with. Where now we've got a very simple process where they literally just click, click a yes, they're happy to leave a review, and it pulls all the data that they've already given us in terms of uh, their name from uh, from our system. So we know who they are uh, without them having to sign on, log on, repeat all the information, it's very, very easy for them to, to deal with that process. Um, and consequently, we get hundreds and hundreds and thousands more reviews. And, you know, not, let's, let's pimp Booking Protect a little bit here, but how much of an impact has that had on the business too? The fact that there is word of mouth and there is social validation. I mean, it's helped the business grow tremendously. Yeah, you know, when you've got, you know, when you're, when your competitors have, you know, maybe 150 reviews and you've got two and a half, 3,000 reviews um, all telling positive things, your competitors got some that are, that are pretty average, um, you know, it, it does. It's that social proof. It's absolutely huge. Um, a really big, big part of our sort of buyer confidence, both from our venues and from our end customers. Yeah, no, I, and I would say that like the if we did a case study on Booking Protect, it would be a really like grade A example of the power of social proof and word of mouth. Because yeah. if you, I mean, despite uh, besides that, um, offering world class customer service, it's really just the power of every time somebody you talk to somebody about Booking Protect, they go. It's like it changed my it's changed my life. I don't have to worry about customer service complaints anymore around tickets in almost every case. Or everybody sees the reviews and they go, "I, I was concerned, but then I saw these reviews and it was great. I'm signing up." I mean, it's you know, it, it it's really a powerful 
statement about how powerful having other people say, hey, this is a great service is for a business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think nowadays, you know, you, you look at venues or, or anywhere you're going, the first thing you see, uh, the first thing you look at, or, or a lot of people do now, is, is to go and find out about that venue or that, or that operator. You know, who are these people that I'm dealing with or who is this venue? What are other people saying? You know, people put, you know, you're looking at a hotel, you know, people are looking at tips of, um, you know, what people say the best rooms are to get or, you know, where's the best place to, you know, to have dinner in that, in that complex or, or whatever. There's lots of different, uh, lots and lots of different things that are on the go. Um, and I think review sites in general are, are here to stay and, and are going to pay, a, are going to play an even bigger, um, uh, sort of uh, an even bigger case in, in, in how consumers buy. I yeah. think particularly particularly um, millennials and younger buyers. I think that's all they've grown up with and you know that is their that's their word of mouth. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now this next question sort of ties into the, all of this too because it comes from someone in the USA who asked to remain not anonymous. But it, it's why is it important to allow consumers more choice in selection? Um, isn't it enough to just create an event and curate it? Um, and I think you just highlighted a whole bunch of reasons why giving consumers choice uh, is important. Um, and I think that probably when you talk about creating an event and curating it, it's that even though you created the event and curated it, I still think that people want to have a sense of control over the purchase process. And I think that, you know, buying an experience or making a plan for something is still something that people are not 100% reluctant, but maybe a, a little reluctant to give up complete freedom over. Just because there's so many variables and so many things involved that they want to feel like they are doing, creating the best experience possible for themselves. Um, you know, knowing that this is kind of like one of the core value propositions of what we talk about with Book and Protect all the time of giving people a little bit more flexibility and peace of mind and protection in their purchases. Um, you know, what do you think about giving people more choice and selection? I think it's I think it's a must. I think if you don't, I think as a business, you probably you probably haven't got long for this this world unless you have an absolutely fabulous product that that you know is just you know, regardless of how you market it, people will buy it. Um, and I don't think there's many, many out there like that. I think, you know, uh, you, know you used to go to maybe a travel agent to, to, you know, to book your holiday, a classic would be. Now people book trips, you know, you go online, you decide, you know, you want to fly from here to here or you want to get a train from here to here. You have a journey, then you decide, right, well, we're going to eat at this restaurant, we're going to stay in this hotel, and people will put all that stuff together. And with the internet now, it's so easy to do all of that planning. And people will spend ages looking and saying, oh, right, there's a great restaurant near that, near that venue, so actually we're going to go to the game and we're going to go to that restaurant because I've not been to that restaurant, so that would be a great addition to that. Or we really want to go to... Um, the you know the inside you know the on-site restaurant, but actually we don't want to go for a burger. We want to go for a uh, you know a, a sit-down meal, um, and people will then put their you know, almost build their own experience um, through that. So I think having that choice is really really important, and having the ability for the customer to select what they how they want their their experience to be is absolutely key so it is more than just putting on the event and you know curating it it's you know it's, it's a lot wider than that it's, it's allowing the customer that choice well let me as you were answering the question it brought to mind something to me and i'm curious to hear your reaction to this but what you were describing seems to be a an opportunity for the pe person selling the experience or the person to that's um, providing the experience, curating it, whatever word you want to use, to build anticipation in the customer. And from my point of view, what, is, what sounds interesting as you're talking through this is it seems to me 
Like it allows people to live the experience more than one once in a positive way. So giving people these opportunities to engage like this is a really powerful opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see now, um, you know, some of the, um, you know, people that are going to festivals, for example, or, or going to events, you know, they're almost like setting up groups, um, you know, sort of like a Facebook group, you know, and people will join that Facebook group and there'll be lots of people commenting even before the event happened, you know, oh, I'm looking forward to this. Does anybody know about this? What's the dress code? Where can I go? Lots of questions and lots of stuff going on. And people are doing that in a, in a community for that event with people that they've never met before, but they're all interacting uh, in that sort of social environment. And so if you don't give them the choice, they'll, they'll, they'll kill you on those, on those uh, environments because those messages will just go out. I had this poor experience because they won't allow me to do this or I can't get this or whatever it is. But conversely, it's it's an absolutely fantastic opportunity to upsell and, you know, and have people who, you know, everybody wants something extra, you know, so give them extra, extra experience or whatever. Everyone likes to feel special. Everyone likes to feel like they're a VIP. Everyone wants to go in that, in that, through that door that's marked VIP or private or wants to be drinking those drinks in that in that area that's fenced off or whatever you know that's aspirational that's what people want to want to do that's what drives drives people so give them those opportunities you know i mean classic example would be you know 10 to 15 years ago you know you you went to a, a very nice restaurant and you'd sit in the restaurant and they would serve your food and you'd be very happy and they tell you about the wine and and off you go and now restaurants are totally different you know uh, these top restaurants they now you can now pay to sit in the kitchen and eat your food at the chef's table and now that's the best table in the um in the place yet you know 10 15 years ago if you said oh i've got a seat in the kitchen you'd think someone was uh, was winding you up now people are paying an absolute fortune to sit amongst the staff in the kitchen working and whatever, because it's about the experience. People who like their food want to see how it's cooked. They want to see it being made. They want to ask the chefs that are putting it together because they maybe want to try that, try making it at home when they get home or whatever. They don't just, they want more than just sitting in a nice restaurant, eating some fantastic food and drinking some fantastic wine. They want more of an experience. There's still people that want to sit upstairs and, um, and sit amongst, uh, you know, with everybody else and listen to the nice ambient music, etc., and whatever, romantic dinner for two. But there are people who, who want to sit with the chefs and the foodies who want to see what's what. Yeah, I think it highlights this concept that I talk about a lot, which is that you are not your market. Because we were talking about the chef's table um, previously, and I said, oh, you know, I started out early on in nightclubs and bars and restaurants uh, when I was like 18, 19 years old, even probably younger than that. And there was nothing at all glamorous about the back of the house. So for me to sit in the chef's table is completely crazy. But then when you illustrate the point as such, I see the value in it from somebody else's point of view. And, and that's a really key important that a point to make as we offer these you know, experiences, these services, these items. It's, they're, they're not necessarily going to be valuable to us, but that doesn't mean they're va- not valuable to other people. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Now, then that leads us to um, a question coming to us from the USA, from the USA, USA, number one, right? Uh, from a guy <laughs> called David. <laughs> it's like, what, what is our approach to, what is your approach to the topic of customer service? Um, both of you seem to have a customer first approach. What guides that and how did you develop this philosophy and why is it important? I'm going to turn this over to you first because you are probably the most customer service driven person that I know. And I mean that in the best possible way. Um, I learn stuff from you all the time. So I want you to teach me some more stuff. So, <laughs> Oh, thanks. thanks. I think it's just really, really simple, which is think of the best. And this is why I tell my team. Think of the best customer experience that you've had personally as a consumer. 
and then think about how it's made you, how that, you know, think back to how it made you feel. And at the end of the day, customer experience is all about how it makes the individual feel. Um, and then you remember those feelings and most likely it came from some personal connection with the individuals involved. So as I mentioned to you before about you, know, you can have the best venue in the world, but if, if your staff are miserable and, you know, and, and they're not happy to come to work and, you know, they're not happy to, to do a fantastic job for your customers and really go the extra mile and, and make their, you know, every time they come into that, that venue, make it feel special for them, then you can have a, you can have a major problem. And that doesn't matter what business you're in, whether that's in, you know, restaurants, whether that's in a, you know, dealing with customers over, over the internet, over the telephone, or having people through a, through a live venue, you, you have to make sure that your staff are, you know, personally connected with that. And I think a key part of that is your staff have to have the ability to go the extra mile. So they need to have some sort of decision-making powers of some sort um, with regard to customer service. So they have to be sort of champions of that world. Um, you know, everybody in in my organization is paid to make a decision, you know, and, and that decision relates around a customer outcome of some sort. So if there's a fear culture that, you know, say, I don't know, someone, you know, someone does something really good for a customer, if they can justify that they've done that for the right reasons, then, then that's fine. That's, that's great. Um, and I think you need to promote, customers doing or your staff doing great things for customers and that doesn't mean you've got to you know give away hundreds of pounds or thousands of dollars or whatever to do that it's about them just going the extra mile and sometimes it's just as simple as a, a thank you a smile um an actual someone caring and being really interested in in, in what in what's happening yeah i uh, this freedom to make a decision thing i think is tough for a lot of people um, and I'm curious, you know, how did you, how do you, how did you build the confidence in yourself to allow that to happen? Because I know that that isn't common. Yeah, I think, I think it's about putting yourself in the customer's shoes um, and thinking, you know, what, just think about that. And, and yeah, we put some parameters on that uh, when, when we started it because it was a bit of a step into the unknown because suddenly, you know, what if they say they can do this and, you know, it costs me a load of money or whatever. So we, we put some process into place so we understood what they were doing. Um, but we just recorded that and we just reviewed those and uh, we reviewed the decisions that were being made and we gave them some, you know, some parameters in terms of uh, what they could do monetary-wise. And then we reviewed those decisions. And if those decisions were perhaps something that we didn't, that we perhaps wouldn't necessarily have done, then we talk about that and why we would have done them or not done them. And then everybody builds a confidence of knowing what, you know, where the barriers are, what we think is acceptable, not acceptable. Um, and they've still got the opportunity to, you know, to flag something at a point if they think, um, you know, it still warrants something. Um, so I think it's just, you have to take a little bit of a leap, but you control that process to start with until everybody gets a, gets a grip of it. But if you've got the right people, um, they will make the right decisions. And uh, again, I think it's, it's spelling out to them to think about that experience in their own minds. And if they thought it was, it was, you know, what they should be doing for them, you know, if they, if it was their own business and themselves, then they're probably better justified to you. Yeah, I would point to three things to add to this. Uh, so the one thing that word that we haven't used yet, but it came up on the last podcast before this one with Rob Mills from the Gimba Group, uh, was empathy, right? And I think that the one thing that um, I know and I can safely say about you um, is that you lead from a point of having empathy for your team and for the people that you're working with and working for. Uh, and I think that's very powerful as a business principle. Uh, the second thing as an example to show why that's important and how that can have a really powerful impact, uh, positive 
in a positive way on you, the business, and the community of people you serve is during the uh, the Beast from the East storm, which was what February of 2018. Is that right? Or somewhere right around there, yeah. where you yeah. proactively. Um, started refunding people because you knew it was going to be like it's going to shut down the rail lines. You did all kinds of things, and that's unusual because most of the time, most people when they offer refund protection, they wait until after the event to make sure that oh, the, the, oh the, your, your event went on, so you should have been able to make it. And you went ahead and did that, and that had like got some positive coverage, some positive press. Uh, it was like a, a real strong selling point. Um, but it, most importantly, it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And the third example is something that happened to me uh, recently, right? And I, I hesitate to to share the story only because I don't want to seem like complete uh, snob and look at me, how awesome I am. Uh, but so I was um, on vacation at, with my wife while my son was away at camp in Miami uh, at the Four Seasons Surf Club. And I only bring that up because it's, it's just like illustrative of the point you brought up because, you know, the people were so generous in spirit and they went so, so above and beyond uh, to make the experience uh, successful and uh, exciting and fun for my wife and I. The, but the point I want to bring out is like, you know, because they were so generous to us, we were in turn generous in spirit to them as well and like really engaged and learned about the people. And it was so exciting. But at the end, this is what blew me away. As we were leaving on Friday to go back to the airport to go to come home back to D.C., you know, like a couple of the guys, they like, walked up and they like they hugged me because they were like, it was like such a great, great having you there. And it didn't feel like this is awkward. It was like going, it was like the most natural thing. Uh, and great customer service can make you feel like you have a friend in like whatever you're doing. And it's like a really, really powerful thing. And I sent the, you know, I sent the CMO of four seasons, a letter. Cause I, you know, I know him and I sent the general manager a letter because I was just like, so taken away because it was like such a, um, it just like sort of captured like what great customer service can do, uh, in, in such like a, a concrete way for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think we we often so focus on the negative, um, you know, using, you know, social media outlets to, to focus on the negative. But it's important that we, you know, that, that great customer service is, you know, is, is highlighted and, and people are rewarded for it. And no, I, to, I totally agree. I, I, I'm also going to be uh, very... Um, uh, sort of bragging here and say I was in London uh, <laughs> last week and uh, and and uh, I went to Harrods, which uh, if you don't know Harrods, it's the I think they call themselves the world's best uh, department store. I would imagine that there's probably some American stores that would have uh, some things there, but it is is the high end of high end mm-hmm. um, stores, and it's an absolutely incredible. Um, absolutely incredible um store and on the ground floor was all the jewelry section and i was in there with my other half and my daughter and we were walking around and and uh, my other half was uh, looking at some of the, the very expensive rings and uh one of the rings took uh my fancy in the de beers uh store which was uh was there and i saw a 10 and 10.6 carat diamond ring uh in a case and it, this thing's huge. I mean, I've never seen a rock like it. This was amazing. <laughs> and the guy, you know, and, and I, there's no way in this world that I could ever afford that. The guy uh, came up to me and he said, uh, so I was asking him about it, saying how amazing was do you want to try it? And then we get it out. So I'm like, oh, you're okay. Yeah, I'm not, not going to buy it. Anyway, <laughs> I, looked at the, I looked at the price tag and it was 1.8 million pounds. And he said, "That's all right. Try it on." So I, I'm trying this this 1.8 million pounds ring on, which, which then he lets my nine year old daughter try on, and she's absolutely over the moon. And and my other half, who then was then very worried then because I thought I was going to have to buy it, um, but he, he just no problems at all. You know, he knew I wasn't going to buy a 1.8 million pounds ring but he got it out and showed it. And then he showed us some other stuff in the store. And, and I went in that store thinking, Oh, this just isn't a bit, this, you know, this will be some real, this will be the shakes from Dubai and places like that will be coming in to do their shopping. You know, why do you want to talk to me? 
And, uh, you know, but it was an amazing experience. We didn't buy anything, but you know what, if I'm going to buy something, that'll be the first place I'll be going back to um, because they were just absolutely amazing. And, you know, often you imagine those sort of places to be quite snobbish and people to turn their nose up and sort of look at you and say, yeah, I don't think you can afford that. Let's just move on, sir. Um, but it wasn't like that at all. And I really like that. Um, and, and I think that's the sort of experience that you want is that people are treated you know, very, very well. And, you know, you've talked about your experience in the hotel. I've been telling lots of people about my experience in, in De Beers in Harrods. Um, and, you know, that's great marketing, isn't it? Well, customer service is the best form of marketing to me. Yes. Yeah. Because like, you, you know, they've bought your daughter's loyalty for her entire life for, yeah. for what, for absolutely nothing because the guy was going to be there anyway. Yeah, so what did it exactly. cost him to be nice to you and your partner and your little girl? Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. What did it do? They, how much brand value, how much reputational value have they received from you telling the oh. story in how many different places? Exactly, exactly. And when I've got 1.8 million. I'm going to go get the ring. I'm going back there. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. And great customer service, it doesn't doesn't really cost you anything. It creates revenue for you. If if, if I can only teach somebody one thing, that would be it. It's like it's a profit center. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, there will be someone in your organization that's working, you know, doing something with customers, whether that's an usher, a security guard, something who is probably one of your best advocates for customer service, and you probably don't know it. That's right. Absolutely right. That's exactly right. So go and find out who that person is and make sure that everybody else knows that what they do is exactly how you want it, everybody else to work. And that person will have, you know, you know they'll be amazed and blown away because they've been recognized because they'll think you probably don't even know who they are. That's right. and, and, and everybody else around them will say, wow, yeah, we want to we want to do stuff like he does or she does. That's right, and that goes back to incentives, right? You want to incentivize yep. the behavior that you want to have happen. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I've got one more question for us today, and what it is is it's like a combination of a couple of things. There was a theme that went through a bunch of the other questions, which is, and one of them is like with things we've already covered, which is um, going to be a lot about experience, but it's. Um, kind of ties up experiences, revenue, everything together. And I'm, I'm going to mash it all together and try to make something coherent out of this. But it's like in a world where we are overwhelmed with choice, how do we break through all of this noise and clutter to make sure that people pay attention to us? Simon? I think it's, you need people to be talking about you, don't you? people are very busy people have lots of things you need people to people are advocates aren't they someone who's been tells 10 people then five of those people go to your event they tell 10 people and suddenly you've got a massive sort of movement of people that are interested in going to your venue um you know, if you ever speak to anyone who's been to Disney, for example, you know, there's a probably people who went didn't go because of they were because you know, of advertising. They've not seen it in a magazine and thought, "I want to go." They've gone because someone's come back from their vacation, their holiday, and has said, "Wow, I've had the best experience of my life." That's what's been. That's what's been great over the last you know, two weeks or whatever. And then someone goes and says, wow, so-and-so that I work with, so this is absolutely amazing. We need to do that as well. And I think that's how you, you, you start building that is getting the people that you have got coming through the door 
of, of your venue or whatever to make sure that they're talking about you everywhere and and you build that anticipation and then once you get those people you just keep you know using them as advocates to 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 keep the to keep the thing going and you know the best venues then are barely advertising i think that's the point about thinking that you're going to um, win people over and break through based on advertising is, you know, that's wrong. And the, the way you highlight it is absolutely correct. You can't out yell everybody because uh, the average person is getting inundated with 5,000 or more messages and calls for attention a day. And so like, from my point of view, how do you break through this clutter? Right. And, you know, this kind of ties into the way the questions would ask about like, how do you win over people when your team's not doing well, or how do you break through the noise or how do you, um, you know, get people to pay attention when technology is dragging them away. It begins with there's three principles I think that you have to keep in mind. Number one, you have to build something that's worth people's attention, right? That means give them something that's valuable, right? And valuable from their point of view, not yours, right? Um, if we're talking about like go, like let's say right now the Spurs, it's a great time to be a Spurs fan. But let's say, like, if I was in London and you were in London at the same time and wanted to go to the Spurs match, it wouldn't matter if the Spurs were awful. The the value to us would be the fact that we get to go to the Spurs match together. And you should never lose sight of that. You know, so the first thing is build something that's worth people's attention. The second thing is, like, as far as marketing and breaking through goes, is you got to be telling your story consistently. Right? You can't just, like, dive in every now and then with, like, Ah, look at me, look at me. I need you to pay attention to this. I want you to do this because that doesn't work. You have to do it consistently, right? You have to always be showing up. I mean, Lord knows I show up all the time. You know, I'm constantly putting stuff out there into the world so people know what I'm working on and what I'm up to. But every brand has to be consistent in delivering their message. Some some are loud and brash, right? And others are like more subdued and quiet, right? Like, so like the example from like, the Four Seasons and the Surf Club or Harrods, those aren't brands that are out there advertising that. But their marketing message is getting out through us because they invested yep. in that customer service. And that's consistent, right? Because every I'm sure that you and I aren't unique in those experiences that we've had at those properties, right? And people and that's being that consistency in delivering that experience, that's marketing. That is full stop marketing. And then yeah. the third thing which is the most important is I think you always have to revisit the value you're offering your guests your in the people you yeah. want to serve because what's valuable today may not be valuable tomorrow. And if you allow your value to erode, that's a marketing message as well. And that's one where it becomes easy for people to tune you out. So if you're always doing something to make people feel a little more special, a little more valued, a little more loved, they're going to remember that. And they're going to buy into that. And they're going to, and they're going to reward you with that, and you know and that's kind of my take on breaking through. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, wholeheartedly. Well, I, I mean that's, I think that's like a good place to leave too. <laughs> uh, leave the leave the leave the questions. Um, how should we um, how should we close this out? I've never done an AMA one before. Um, do we have anything else we want to pump uh, promote, pump up, uh, share? Um, I want to point everybody to follow Simon on the Twitters at Simon Mab. Um, what else should we promote before we go? We got the, we, yeah, we, we have a platform, think, Simon. <laughs> I think we need to get as many people out to the event in uh, in Australia. I think it's a great opportunity to support that event, which is obviously a new event into Australia, um, in into Sydney. Uh, great chance to uh, to meet. People debate some stuff, share some ideas. Um, I think it's a really, a really good opportunity. So uh, I would uh, say get your tickets. Um, the, the guys down there have done a fantastic job. We're we're really really looking forward to getting down there and and, and meeting people and uh, having some great conversations. And uh, like you said at the beginning, we're going to have a uh, a chat in um, uh, on on the Wednesday night we're going to organize something so uh be great chance to you know to meet some people and you know have a have a beer yeah and the next i think it is isn't it 
I think so. Yeah, I believe that's right. I, I mean, I have they have a uh, great beer, great wine, uh, great food is what everybody keeps telling me. Uh, so I, I'm pretty excited. And but yeah, another thing, and it's good that you're promoting and talking about how excited you are because I tell everybody pretty often. I go, both Simon and I are super excited because we've never been. We can't wait to get there. Um, but yeah, make sure you buy your tickets at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. And I've been offering uh, people, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna throw it on you without even warning you. If they send us the receipt, we'll do something nice for them. Uh, it could be like yep. a, a webinar. It could be, uh, you know, it could be any kind of crazy cool thing. It could be a coaching call uh, from one of us. It could be any kind of thing yep. uh, that we'll do. We'll throw in um, because we're really excited. We want this event to be a success, um, and we want it. We really, really are excited to come visit Australia. Um, Anything else we uh, visit, check out Simon at bookingprotect.com. We didn't even get a chance to talk about our 10 trends that are impacting the um, live entertainment industry, but I think this is like, you know, this this one opens the door for uh, many more podcasts. So, yeah, no, I think, uh, no, I've enjoyed enjoyed that. It's always good to to think about these things. And, uh, you know, whenever we're looking at customer experiences or, customer service or or whatever i think uh you know there's some great opportunities and and it would be good if uh, people you know this has sparked any people's thoughts on further questions or anything that they want to put to put to us um to talk about then that'd be great you know let's you know let's talk about some stuff yeah everybody should know that the the fastest way to get us to answer questions is on twitter <laughs> <laughs> Certainly is. Certainly is. With Booking Protect CEO Simon Mab, let me know what you think by sending me an email at my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. As always, you can find out what I'm up to by visiting my website. It's www.DaveWakeman.com, where you can find my blog, a list of clients, uh, results, whatever you want to find out about me, it's going to be on my website. And that's www.davewakeman.com. As always, you can connect with me on social media. You can find me on Twitter, where I'm at, David Wakeman. Like I've mentioned, however many podcasts we've been doing this here, if you know the person who has the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, I'd love it if you get it for me. The guy has tweeted since 2014. I need it. It keeps me on brand. You can also hook up with me on LinkedIn. Just search my name, Dave Wakeman. If you like what I'm doing on the podcast, I'd love it if you could do me one favor. Share the podcast with just one person, a colleague, friend, someone you think would benefit from one of the conversations I've had here uh, with people like Simon Mab, Rob Mills, Lauren Teague, Kate M. Rotkowski, Kat Spencer, or any of the other podcasts. Also, if you're a dedicated fan, I'd love it if you'd become a subscriber. We're on almost all of the podcast platforms now, if not all of them. I even found us on Luminary, which I thought was exciting because I was like, I'm a big I Am Rappaport fan. So I was on the same network as Michael Rappaport. It was great. But make sure you subscribe. And if you're so inclined, leave a review. These things help, and they make sure that I am encouraged to continue to deliver these great interviews and these great conversations so that you can learn uh, from me and my guests. As always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection, for being my partner in the podcast. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to give your customers a better buying experience, world-class customer service, and you and your organization can create a brand new stream of revenue for yourselves, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. Also, You just heard me talk to Simon Mapp. I just talked about Booking Protect. But get a chance to see us in person by coming to the Ticketing Professionals Conference of Australia in Sydney on the 14th and 15th of November. Simon and I both will be speaking. Simon's going to be talking about customer service, and I will be giving the opening keynote address on the courage to change. To get your tickets to the Ticketing Professionals Conference, visit their website. It's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Let me give you that again. It's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. As an added bonus, just like you heard me and Simon mention a couple of minutes ago on the podcast, send me your receipt to dave at davewakeman.com, and I will do something special for you and your team. 
Like I've mentioned many times before, the more people you bring, the more exciting the gift is going to be. But do that. Um, buy your tickets. Send me your receipt. Come see us in Sydney, Australia. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great time. You're, a lot of learning, a lot of interesting people. It's going to be fantastic. Finally, if you like the podcast, you may very well like my newsletter. It's called The Business of Value. It comes out on Sundays where I talk about marketing strategy and ways that you can create and capture for value for your customers and capture value for yourself. To get that newsletter, all you have to do is send me an email to dave at davewakeman.com. Put the subject line newsletter. So I make sure I add you to the right list and I'll get you signed up. Again, that's the Business of Value newsletter. Send me an email, dave at davewakeman.com, and I'll get you hooked up. Finally, as always, I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And until next time, take it easy. I'll see you soon.